I got some uh, little thoughts. You know, I, I gather things from everywhere. I'm not an original. I, I just copy, copy, copy. I'm the biggest copycat in the world. The Bible says there's nothing new under the sun. Well, why waste my time trying to be an original? I listen to people and I learn things and I gather things together. But uh, this is um, some good thoughts on witnessing. The reward of witnessing are well worth the risk. The rewards are well worth the risk. Because there's risk involved in witnessing. You know, to talking to somebody about the Lord, it's a scary thing. I mean, you look at somebody's face and scare you to death. You, you already decided who's going to beat you up. And, uh, you know, somebody's going to kill you. Some little woman ain't no bigger than a quarter. She'd jump on you like a squirrel climbing a tree. And uh, some great big old dude, you know, he'll just melt and be just as nice and sweet. You can't figure him out ahead of time. So it's better not to try to do it. Those on the road to heaven must not be content to go alone. Now think about that. Those on the road to heaven should not be content to go alone. We should want to try to get somebody to go with us, right? We should want that. The only way to preach the gospel to every creature is to go to every creature. That makes sense. Hospitality is evangelism's greatest tool. You know, being nice to people, doing things for people, opens up many doors. Just being kind. You know, everybody is struggling. Everybody's having a hard time. Be nice to everybody. Don't need to be rude and mean and ugly. Last thing you want to do is grow up to be a mean old man. Well, not y'all. A mean old woman. Be a mean old woman. Now, here we are with um, Hortense. Hortense, how old are you now? How old are you, Hortense? 84. 84. That's a long time to live. You know that. But when you're 76, it's not that old. I'm just a baby, just a child. And, um, but now, as long as I've known her for eight years here, she's, she hasn't grown up to be a, a mean old woman. She's just a sweet little old lady. You know what somebody, I'm not, after I preached that sermon this morning, I was walking down the hall and this one guy comes to me and he says, you're just a sweetie pie. <laughs> I thought, well, you could have said something else a little bit better, <laughs> but... I guess I'll, I'll take sweetie pie if that's what he wants to say. But um, another one says, the church must go to the world because the world will not come to the church. You cannot witness to the wrong person about Christ. How can you witness to the wrong person? Oh, I witnessed to the wrong person. I got the wrong person saved. <laughs> you can't get the wrong person saved. Talk to the Lord about sinners. Then talk to sinners about the Lord. That makes sense, don't it? You want to have a burden for souls? The key to the burden for souls is accepting the responsibility that God's given to you to reach them. So if we accept that responsibility, then you've got a burden. It's just like if I was to say, um, you know, uh, Dr. Polson, how come you didn't mop this floor today and vacuum this rug? He'd say, it's not my job. Not my job. Well, whose job is it? Oh, it was Peter's job. Okay, then Peter, why didn't you get it done? Peter said, I'm on vacation. Okay, Jesse, why didn't you get it done? I don't know. <laughs> Where were you? I was, I was at home in bed sleeping. But until, unless you have a responsibility, it's not your job. But God has told us in his word, 
He says, we have been put in trust with the gospel, therefore we speak not as pleasing men, but God which trieth our heart. So we have been put in trust. So therefore God is going to hold us accountable. So he does expect us to get something accomplished in our life. Another one is, every Christian occupies some kind of a pulpit and preaches a kind of sermon every day. In other words, you know this, on Sunday morning, this is my pulpit. This is where I preach. And I holler, yeah, yeah, yeah. And, uh, uh, you just do yours out there. You know where you work, at home, neighbors, wherever you go. You're preaching a sermon just as well. But maybe you just don't have a pulpit. But um, can't you still visit and can't you still you know, talk to somebody in a nursing home or in a hospital or the next door neighbor or somebody, uh, leave a track here, leave a track there. You still got a, a platform. Every man has a platform. Every woman has a platform from which to do the job. Another one was lighthouses don't make noise, they just shine. The tack needed for evangelism is contact. That's good. The contact. The tack needed for, because you always have no you got to have the right tack. Well, the tack is contact. And all Christians cannot witness the same way, but all Christians can witness some way. Isn't that true? We may not all do it the same way, but we all ought to find a way. The pastor's job is to fill the pulpit. The member's job is to fill the church. Do I hear amen? Some people say, that's what we hired the preacher for. No, you didn't. You didn't hire me to fill this church. You hired me to preach and to teach you how to do it. I need to do a better job. All right. I want you to take your Bible and turn to the book of Romans in chapter 1. Romans chapter 1. In this idea about a burden for souls. A burden for souls is to accept the responsibility to reach them. And if you do, then all of a sudden you've you got a burden. You've got to figure out a way. Now, how can I fulfill my responsibility? I was talking to a young kid today. He was only 17 years old. I talked to him about he ought to come to Bible college for one year. He says, why? I says, to study the Bible. He said, why? <laughs> I wanted to slap his jaws. So you can learn how to fulfill your responsibility. But see, if you're not interested in fulfilling your responsibility, you don't need to study the Bible. You don't need to go to church. You don't need to read the Bible. You don't need to do anything. Why? Because I'm not going to do anything anyway. But when you want to do something, then you want to... Learn what to do and how to do it. And that's what is taught in the Bible. Now turn in your Bible there to the book of Romans in chapter 1. And look there in verse 14. I am debtor both to the Greeks and to the barbarians, both to the wise and to the unwise. You know, that just about covers everybody in the world, doesn't it? Wise and unwise. So as much as in me is, I am ready. I am I am ready to preach the gospel to you that are at Rome also. For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ. For it is the power of God unto salvation to everyone that believeth. To the Jew first and also to the Greek. Now that verse, we quote that just about every Sunday. Where it says, For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ. For it is the power of God unto salvation to everyone that believeth. Do you really believe that? Everyone that will believe it can have eternal life and go to heaven and won't go to hell. And isn't that message worthy to tell somebody about? Think of how many people have never heard it before. I was just thrilled whenever I got that one comment all the way from South Korea. South Korea. How long would it take me to go to South Korea and witness to somebody, and then go to Pakistan, and then go to Saudi Arabia, 
and then go to Germany, and then go to uh, the United Kingdom, because that's where we've had people respond and trust the Lord. Canada, and um, all over the United States. It would take me a while, and cost a lot of money, and yet for just a few pennies that we are able to do such a, a wonderful thing. But now notice when he talks about the gospel, notice what the gospel includes in verse 17. For therein, in the gospel, is the righteousness of God revealed. So if we're going to give a gospel, then the gospel has to say something about the righteousness of God. How does a man get to heaven? Well, then God will give you his righteousness. He gives you his perfection. He pays for your sin, gives you his perfection. You go to heaven on what Christ did for you. All that means the same thing. It's just a different way of saying it. But the gospel, and there's a lot of people just talking about, let's just get people saved, and we're talking about eternal security later. You can't, because eternal security is the gospel. That's what being saved means. I'm going to heaven, and I can't go to hell. Because you can't know you're going there until you know you can't go there. But if you can always go there, then how do you know you're going there? Y'all can get that, can't you? Y'all can understand this. Then notice what else he says. Look in verse 18. For the wrath of God is revealed. In other words, when we do the wallet illustration, we're explaining the gospel, the good news. And in that good news, it talks about the righteousness of God. And we talk about the wrath of God. And that's why he says in verse 18, For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who hold the truth and unrighteousness. So we say, all have sinned and all are condemned. Nobody's good enough to go to heaven. And that's what makes the gospel up here in verse 16 so good. It's such a wonderful thing to know. So it talks about, yes, the sinfulness of man. talks about the wrath of God. talks about the righteousness of God. Now, just to very quickly give you this, look in chapter 3. In spite of how bad mankind is, and the Bible says he's pretty bad, look what he says in verse 10. As it is written, there's none righteous. How many? No, not one. There is none that understand, none that seeketh after God. All gone out of the way. There's none that doeth good, not one. Isn't that something? God says, um, y'all can stop all this bickering back and forth about how good you are. Because there's not one of you. Not a one, not a one. And so he makes a statement there in verse 19. For we know that what things soever the law said, sifted them that are under the law. Get this, every mouth may be what? Stopped. All the world became guilty before God. So how many people have sinned? Everybody. How many people are guilty? Everybody. How many are condemned? Everybody. And so nobody can save themselves. In spite of how bad we are, so God even refers to the law there in verse 20. Therefore, by the law, or by the deeds of the law, shall no flesh be justified in his sight. For by the law is the knowledge of sin. That's how you know you're a sinner. Why? Well, look at the law. Thou shalt not lie. You won't believe this. I had a little boy in my office today, and I says, have you ever told a lie? <laughs> nope. Hmm. Okay, this is going to be interesting. <laughs> but he was just maybe, I think, a little confused. And later on, he says, uh, since he trusts the Lord, he doesn't want to sin anymore. He doesn't want to lie anymore. Okay, I'll accept that. But he's only five years old. Now, look what he says in verse 21. But now, but now, the righteousness of God. Now, does man have any righteousness to save himself? No. 
all condemned, none good, none righteous. And then in verse 21, but now the righteousness of God without the law, without doing any good, is manifest, been witnessed by the law and the prophet. Get this in verse 22, even the righteousness of God, which is by faith of Jesus Christ unto how many? All those people that are no good, all those people that are liars, all those people that have done all these bad things, all of them that are condemned. He says, the righteousness of God is unto all and upon all them that do what? That believe. There's no difference. If God saves any person, he has to save everybody the same way for the same reason. There can be different ways of salvation. God is not a respecter of persons. So if God saved me, he had to save me the same way he saved you or somebody else or the apostles. Everybody has to get saved the same way. That's by trusting Christ, believing that what he did, he did it for them. So the gospel does that for us. Now, I want you to take your Bible and turn to Matthew 28. Matthew and chapter 28. This is what we usually call the um, Great Commission, the Great Command. And in chapter 28, talking about right before Christ ascended and went back to heaven. It says here in chapter 28 and verse 18. And Jesus came and spake unto them, saying, All power is given unto me in heaven and in earth. In other words, all authority. So if Christ commands us to go in all the world, do we have the authority to go? Yes. Are there people, though, are going to start to stop you from going? Yes. What about people in North Korea? What about communist China? Or Russia? What about all these countries? What about all the Arab countries that... They will kill you. You go there preaching Christ. Do we still have a responsibility to reach them? Lord, I regret that I've only got one wife to send to the ministry. No, I don't think that's how it goes. Lord, I'm willing to go, but I know you want me to stay here and pray for others to do it. <laughs> Lord, send Jesse. I was actually over there in Egypt. And I was on the verge of getting up and because we were just sitting around for a little bit in our room. And I said, I think I'll go downstairs and just get on the street corner and just start preaching Christ. And the man jumped up. He says, whatever you do, don't do that. I thought, why not? He says, you won't last five minutes. He says, they'll kill you. So we did get a chance to go into all the, and I thought, would Paul do this? I don't think Paul would be afraid. But then... Paul was able to do miracles, and, <laughs> and people would be blind. They wouldn't see him, and he could just, uh, and uh, I haven't tried walking on water yet. I don't think it'll work. And um, I, I can't wave my hand, and people go blind, and, and Paul could do kind of, he got the, and that'd give you a little confidence and courage. And so um, we went to some of these churches, and we had a lot of people trust Christ as Savior because they had not seen some of us uh, Yankee people, you know, from America come over and preach the gospel. And um, so they came out, and they had a lot of them trust the Lord. But I was talking to Ray Stanford later, and he says, some of the same churches we had been in, later on some Muslims came into the churches and gunned them down. In one church, over 100 people they gunned down. And Ray just stood there, he just cried. He says, because it was the very same church we had been in. And they had done this in several churches when they was having all this uprising over there in Egypt. And um, you just don't never know. 
how many people you witnessed to. And uh, I got some neat stories about that. But this here in chapter 28 is go you into all the world and teach every nation, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, Holy. Does God want us to affect every nation? Every nation. Every nation. Didn't say what kind, just every nation. And to teach them to observe everything I told you. So whatever Christ told the apostles, and the apostles told them, and then they were supposed to tell them, and they tell them. And so, lo and behold, it's been 2,000 years. So that command that he gave is just passed on down. Every one of us, we read the Bible, we're still commanded. I have commanded you. See there in that verse 20, I have commanded you. So witnessing is not an option. It's a command. And if you don't do it, you're just disobedient. There is no two ways to cut it. Christ says, follow me and I will make you fishers of men. So if you're following, you're fishing. If you're not fishing, you're not following. Now, we can be doing a lot of other things, but he's the one that wrote it. And he, I think he means what he says. He's serious about this thing. Now, a couple of things that I wanted you to know. And I wrote this down in my notes here. Did Christ only have a number in mind? I've had people say, you know, there's only so many people God wants to save. You know, in the church age, we've got this body, and there's so many cells in the body. And so when we reach a certain number, then that's the number, and then the rapture takes place. Now, I don't know if that's true or not. I mean, it can sound good. I just can't prove it. But I thought if, if God's only interested in getting a number, then why not just pick a place like Cairo, Egypt? There's about 18 million there. And then just choose to save that number and all of the apostles just go to that one big old city and get all the 18 million instead of wasting your time going to all those other places. If it's just a number he wants. But I think it's not a number. It, he wants everybody. He wants all. Preach the gospel to everyone. And so I believe all excludes none and exempts nobody. Everybody's included. And God so loved the world. Now, let me just mention this to you. In the book of Acts chapter 2, don't turn there, but it talks about in chapter 2, verse 41, 3,000 people trust the Lord that one day, that one sermon by the apostle Peter. Chapter 4, in verse 4, talks about some more people that trust the Lord. In chapter 5, verse 14, talks about another number of people. And then it says they were commanded and it multiplied and so forth. So if anybody is interested in numbers, I guess God is interested in numbers. But the numbers declude everybody. He wants everybody to trust the Lord. Now under the law, when God gave the law, 3,000 people were killed. When the Holy Spirit came, the law is death, the Spirit is life. And on the day of Pentecost, when the Holy Spirit came, 3,000 were saved. There's a lot of interesting things about this. Now, I want you to take your Bible and turn to Matthew chapter 9. Matthew and chapter 9. Jesus had um, told them that um, there was a problem. And in verse 36 of chapter 9, Matthew chapter 9, in verse 36, he said, But when he saw the multitude, he was moved with compassion on them. Because they fainted and were scattered abroad as sheep having no shepherd. Sheep without a shepherd. He is the good shepherd. He is the great shepherd. He is the chief shepherd. He is the shepherd that gives his life for the sheep. 
And it says they're like sheep. And all we like sheep have gone astray. Everybody wants to go their own way, do their own thing. So he says in verse 37, then he says to his disciples, the harvest truly is plenteous, but the labors are few. You agree with that? Look at the job and think of all the people in all the world. You would think, how come God hasn't called somebody to go to those people? He has. Well, what's the problem? They won't go. They won't go. That young boy I talked to today, saved, but he won't go. He's not interested in going to Bible college, learning the Word of God. Even the, the apostles had to spend three and a half years in Bible college with Jesus Christ as their teacher. And then when he gave them their final exam, they all failed. They all failed their final exam. And yet, that was all he had to, to work with. Some ignorant fishermen. And think of all the things that could be done if people would just obey the Lord. But see, people don't want to. Go! I will not. And people don't want to go. That's why I push for kids to come to Bible college. Why? Because if you don't train them, they're not going to go. Why do you think John John is maybe going to take and wind up in a full-time Christian work? Or why did Jesse been in full-time Christian work? Or what about, um, you know, Tyler? Now working with camp. He wants to be in full-time Christian Why? Because he came to Bible college. If it didn't, they wouldn't know anything. You just don't take a guy off the street and, and put him in the pulpit and say, how about being our preacher? Wait a minute. Who are you? Where are you from? Where did you go to school? What do you believe? What have you done? Who will vouch for you? You see, you have to build a testimony of faithfulness. You have to complete a system of study. You got to know what do you believe and why you believe it. This is what's wrong with a lot of churches today. They don't care about what the person believes. They just want somebody to, to, to play the game and play the part. And they just play religion. When I came down here, you know, they grilled me on what I believed. When we have missionaries and we're going to support them, we grill them. You ought to see what they got to fill out. Man, I wouldn't want to fill that out. <laughs> but it's, it's huge. Because you just can't support everybody. One thing I want to know is, where did you go to school? Because that, where they went to school tells me what they've been taught. And what church recommends you. That's why you want to have somebody that's... John John can say, look, I was ordained at uh, Calvary Community Church. Oh, we've heard of that church. Isn't that where Yankee Arnold's the pastor at? Yeah, that great church down there with the college and all that. Thing. Yeah, 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 yeah. Okay, we will have you speak. But he has to have some credentials. Something. Do you know then when Paul trusted the Lord, he had a testimony. He hated Christians. He was just getting permission to put them in jail. He trusts the Lord, and lo and behold, he's going to go and try to talk with some of those believers. And they said, do you know who he is? Do you know what he's done? And Barnabas had to come alongside of him. And trying to introduce him and work him in and trying to tell him what happened. So they accepted him because of Barnabas. Even the apostle Paul. And so that's the way it is. But here he makes the statement. Even though there's a need for laborers. In verse 38. Pray ye therefore the Lord of the harvest. That he will send forth laborers into his harvest. And then what's the first thing you find in chapter 10? 
He's sending forth his disciples. See there in verse 1. When he had called unto him his 12 disciples, he gave them power over unclean spirits and blah, 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 all the way down through there. He does all of this. In verse 5, these 12 Jesus sent forth and commanded them, saying, Go not unto the way of the Gentiles, because right now he's king of Israel. And he said, Go into the house of Israel. And so we go ahead and, and preach to the lost sheep in verse 6 of the house of Israel. And then he told them something, and that you need to get this down. Look in verse 7, where he told them what to do. In verse 7, see these three words in verse 7? As ye go. As ye go. This is what I want you to do. Now, everybody may not go the same way. Everybody may not go the same time. But it is assumed, because of a command, everybody's going to go. And as you go, this is what he told them that he wanted them to do. Look there in verse 11. And into whatsoever city or town ye shall enter, inquire who it is worthy. And there abide till ye go hence. So how do you determine who's worthy and who's not worthy? Those who receive the message and those who reject the message. Because that's mentioned a little bit further down in verse 14 when he says, And whosoever shall not receive you nor hear your words. So there's those who will receive you, hear your words, he says, and they are worthy. In other words, God will save every person who will hear and believe the message. But what I want you to see up there in verse 10, Into whatsoever city or town ye shall enter. See, it didn't matter what city. It didn't matter what town. When I graduated from Florida Bible College, all I knew is I'm going to Indian camps. And I am the camp speaker. Evangelist Yankee Arnold. Camp speaker. Going to the Indian camps. Now, at one time, that sounded a little glorious. You know, out there with the Indians, and you think of Daniel Boom and Davy Crockett, and you know, all these guys that fought these Indians, and Mike... Two little kids, they were all excited. We're going out there, and the Indians, you know, they live in teepees, and they ride horseback, and they shoot bows and arrows. And my kids were all excited about going to the Indian camps. And we got to the camp there in Oklahoma. Well, they were dressed the way we were dressed. They lived in houses. And uh, we had a building, and nobody lived in tents, and there was nobody riding in on horseback. Well, they were a little discouraged. But to be honest, I was too. <laughs> I wanted to see some real Indians, you know, with the feather and all that. And so I was talking to these Indians. And we had about 27 different Indian tribes represented there. A lot of Indians. And so I got up there and I gave them my usual story and my little pitch, you know. And I uh, was going along and trying to make sure the gospel was simple, that it was clear, and anybody could understand it. And I says... And when God gives you something, he will not take it away. He gives you the free gift of eternal life. I says, he's not an Indian giver. And then I realized that didn't go over very well. They were sitting there, you know, stone face, no expression, just staring me down. But um, they just, all of a sudden, whenever I said, God's not an Indian giver, they looked up at me and they looked at each other and they rolled their eyes. And I realized, Yankee, you have done it now. 
If I didn't see any arrows, I could almost feel the arrows coming at me. And I started talking as fast as I could. But when I talk fast, I can talk fast. And I, I went on something else, tried to tell a couple of jokes, and I got out of that. Anyway, nobody killed me. But I, was, I realized that I, maybe I shouldn't have said that. Would you have said that? Do you see anything wrong with saying that? But have you ever said that? You ever heard that before? See there? See there? And it wasn't me that told you that either. But see, whatever town we went to, whatever Indian tribe we went to. See, some people say, well, now, God, I want you to tell me, do I go to this tribe or this tribe? Do I go to this town or do I go to this town? Whatsoever city you go to. That's why when we left Florida Bible College, the door opened up for me to go to Denver. Well, the other door opened up for Lee to go to San Antonio. The other door opened up for Wally to go down into far Texas. And others went to this place and to that place. And opportunities opened up. You just took the door of opportunity. Wherever they went. Well, wherever we went, we knew the responsibility was the same. Tell people how to have eternal life. So we all started because we didn't know anything about church. We just started Bible study. Means we'd get us a little stool and sit there and strum on that guitar and sing a couple of these songs that we sung up here and, and then uh, ask the kids if they um, got any questions on anything in the Bible. And that worked pretty good. And, of course, I've had some good things and bad things that I shouldn't have done. And my first ranch meeting, I had two kids. They're in Arvada, Colorado. And we sung some songs and got through, and I thought, you know, I'm fresh out of Bible college. I know it all. So I opened it up for questions and answers. Got any questions? There's two junior high kids. What does the junior high kid know? They don't know nothing. They don't know anything. And I'm a graduate. So I always wanted to be an administrator. Now I are one. So I asked him, I said, you got any questions? And this one kid raised his hand. I thought it was a good, innocent, sincere question. Is God a big God? I said, well, yes, God is a big God. He says, can... Um, can God do anything? I said, God can do anything he wants. God can do it. He says, can God make a, a rock? I said, God can make a rock. Can God make a big rock? Yes, God can make a big rock. He says, can God make a rock so big he can't lift it? That little twerp. He walked me right into that trap. He set me up. It was his first time there. I never found out who his mother and dad was. But they never saw him again. No, I'm just sorry. I've had a great burning desire to want to meet that kid again. And after all these years, I've never seen him again. He never came back to ranch. The other kid trusted Christ to save you that night, though, so we did have somebody trust the Lord. And uh, that's the only meeting I think I've ever had where 50% of the whole congregation got saved. There were only two, and one of them did. I used to tell people we had a packed outhouse. Now, where we were raised, we had a now house. But anyway, it doesn't matter whether it's this city, that city, that city, what person. He's laid it down for us and what he wants us to do. Now, look in verse 14. Look in verse 14. Give me just one word. Because there's so many people looking for specific things, and it doesn't work that way. You've got to serve the Lord wherever you are, doing the right thing, and just start where you are. If you're on the job and you get an opportunity to talk to somebody, just talk to them. Don't pray for 15 minutes. Lord, if it's your will for me to witness to this person standing next to me, let him stand on his head and spit wooden nickels for five minutes and I'll know it's your will. 
because you know, you're scared to death and you, you know he's not going to do that. Or if he's here within 15 minutes from now, then I'll know it's your will. No, you already know his will. You're just trying to figure out a way to get out of it. And so sometimes you just have to push yourself a little bit. But look at verse 14. And whosoever shall not receive, whosoever. See, it doesn't matter who you witness to. Whosoever. And whosoever house. Whatever town. See, it doesn't really matter. There's people everywhere. So if I go to Israel, well, the Lord wanted me to witness to all the people in, uh, down in Egypt. And I didn't go there, so I don't have to witness anybody in Israel. But if I go to Israel and I get an opportunity that you think I should, or if I can give the gospel here or there or wherever, no. see, we have the command, and it's whatsoever, whosoever, and as you go. Why didn't Christ just preach to those he knew who would believe? I've often thought that. Lord, why waste my time? You already know who would believe if I witnessed to them. Why don't you just let me witness just to those that are going to be receptive? Wouldn't that be nice? But it don't work that way. Because, see, you're working on a, on a program that God set up, and he wants that testimony given to that person because that testimony that you give to that person, even though they don't believe it and will not receive it, one day will be used against them to let them know because God must be just whenever the unjust judges him. See, people are going to judge God. That's not right. That's not fair. And God says, no, I sent this guy to you, and he witnessed to you, and I sent this person to you, and he witnessed to you, and you heard this message on the radio. God knows every opportunity every person has ever received, and they're going to be judged according to the light they have. Your testimony, even to the lost man, is vital. And God wants us to do it. You see, we're not going to be rewarded when we get to heaven because of how many people trust the Lord. We're going to be rewarded because of your faithfulness. Did you sow the seed? You're not to save a soul. I can't save anybody. Never have saved anybody. Couldn't even save myself. All I do is point people to the one that will save them. Now, like this morning, we had several that indicated they would trust the Lord. We had some that indicated on the, um, on the Internet that they would trust Christ as Savior. So whether they do or not, I, I don't know. Somebody raised their hand and I say, you know, we had two trust the Lord. How do you know they trust the Lord? Well, I don't, but that's what they told me. I'm not lying. If it was a lie, they told it, not me. I asked them, if you're trusting Christ as your Savior, let me know. What did they just do? They told me they trusted the Lord. I didn't tell them they trust the Lord. They're telling me they trust the Lord. I don't know who trusts the Lord. But if you say you trust the Lord, okay, I'll believe you. Until I have a real reason to believe that you're lying to me. And so there's just some people who don't witness and no one else. Bill God, well, he did it in the energy of the flesh. Since when has my flesh wanted to go so in? But anyway, I believe God wants everyone to hear, to know why didn't God send someone here or there? Well, he did. They just won't go. And that's why there's not enough labors. There are not enough labors in his day, and there's not enough labors in our day. You remember when Never Christ in the chapter 4 of the Gospel of John, when he went and met the woman at the well? Now, because of the kind of a woman she was, he didn't meet with her at night in the 
Dark Street. He met her at uh, noonday and he met her at the well in a public place. The disciples had gone down into the city to get something to eat. They went to the you know, Burger King, McDonald's or Chick-fil-A and got something to eat. And they came back. And he says, I have meat to eat that you know not of. So somebody bring him something to eat. That's all in chapter 4. No, he says, my meat is to do the will of him that sent me and to finish his work. In other words, there's greater satisfaction in your life. And you have no idea how satisfying it is when you get someone else to trust Christ as their Savior. Because, you know, that person is not going to heaven because they heard the gospel through your lips. And that is meat to eat. See, there's a lot of Christians, and I used to have them come to me and say, well, I'm tired of this milk. I want some meat to eat. Go sow in him. That's where the meat is. That's where the meat is. Go, go sow in him. And whenever you need money and you don't know what to do, <laughs> remember whenever they came to, to Peter and it says, uh, Hey, uh, don't y'all have to pay some taxes? Now, the others, as far as we know, weren't old enough to have to pay the, uh, the temple tax. But um, Jesus told uh, Peter, says, uh, go down to the lake and uh, catch this fish, and in his mouth will be the money. Now, isn't that a nice way to know that if you want some money? Uh, he just told him, says, go fishing. When we need money, go fishing. Preach the gospel. Preach the gospel. Do you know where... Mainly supported because there's people who have been led to the Lord through certain people, some by hand, some through me, and somebody. Because there's people who trust Christ as Savior, and they want to support the ministry, and they want to support. Our whole ministry out in Colorado is just about supported because of one guy that trusted the Lord years ago. And he was in my church out there. And we got separated for, I don't know, 25 years. And, uh, and now he has been used of the Lord to do but, if you need money, go fishing. You go fishing. God will bless and take care of many areas of your life if you just go fishing. Be a soul winner, and God will be obligated to take care of all these other things. You put him first, do what he wants, and then he'll take care of those other things that um, you thought were so important. And God can do these things for you. Look up here. Why do you think I do this all the time? Because y'all didn't get it the first time. No, because uh, y'all didn't get it the first thousand times, so I'll do it again. No, it's because I know that some people might listen to this video a year from now. And they may not listen to anything else that I've said, but right at the end, I do the thing with the wallet, and somebody will see it, and they'll trust the Lord. It was uh, Jim Blevins told me that he had some Muslim boy that watched the four-minute video and then he emails him and says, what's he doing with that wallet? So he had to explain to him what I was doing with the wallet. Because some people never saw it and told him, what, what are you doing? This hand represents you and me. And this wallet represents sin. We all have sin on us. God loves us. Now see how easy this is? Look how easy this is. Anybody can do that. When I saw Ray Stanford do this for the first time, and then the next time, and the next, I thought, man, anybody can do that. That's so simple. Anybody can do that. That's the point, because anybody can. It was so simple, anybody can do it. And then I got home, and I had argued with Ray. I didn't want to do it his way. I, I always had my own way of doing it. And I thought, if I got to do it, I'm going to have to learn this thing. And I actually got in front of a mirror, and I tried to see if I could lead myself to the Lord. 
Try that and see if you can get through to yourself. But you look in the mirror and you're trying, and it's surprising. I can have those college kids and they have to learn how to do the seven steps in order. And they'll come up here and they'll say, uh, let this hand represent Jesus Christ. Let this wallet represent you and me. Let this represent, no, 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 sorry. And they can't even get that right. And they'll be all over the place. Now, I want seven steps, and I want it in order. And they get it all messed up. And they've watched me do it a hundred times. But it looks so easy. But once you get it down, you'd be surprised how easy it will be. You and me, sin. We all have sin on us. God loves us, hates sin. For us to go to heaven, we have to be no sin. But because we've sinned, we're all condemned. And because we're condemned, nobody can save themselves. And that's why God said we need a Savior. This hand represents Jesus Christ, God in the flesh. He came into the world because He loves us, hates our sin, because our sin separates us from Him. Christ took our sins, paid for it on the cross, came back from the dead. said if we believe He did it for us, He gives us eternal life as a free gift, we can know that we're going to heaven when we die. That's how simple it is. But if you do it a couple thousand times, you'll get smooth at it. And a woman... That's the easiest thing in the world. She always carries her sin around with her. You know, it's a purse. Anything in that purse is sinful. And you can take off her shoe. We can do anything with it, you know. But um, I never use the Bible to represent sin. I don't use a, a piece of paper because if you're nervous at all, let this hand represent you and me. And the sin represents... See, if you're nervous, what's that piece of paper going to do? It's going to shake. Solid. <laughs> use some Solid. Because you won't be as nervous. But listen, since we've all got the responsibility, don't say, well, I can't learn how to do that. Yes, you can. There was a day in my life when I had to learn how to do the wallet illustration. I was 22 years old when I learned how to do it. And since I was 22, and I'm now 76, so for how many years? 54 years. I've been doing the same illustration Every service, 54 years. Let's pray, shall we? With heads bowed and eyes closed and no one looking around. If you're here tonight and you haven't trusted Christ as Savior, the most important thing you'll ever do is trust the Lord. There's no gimmick to it. No axe to grind. Just right where you are, you can say, Lord, I'm going to trust Christ as my Savior. And friend, if you'll do that, he'll save you. God loves you that much. He paid for your sins. When he came back from the dead, he says, will you believe I did that for you? And if you'll believe it, he saves you. With heads bowed and eyes closed, anyone at all say, yes, that made sense to me. And tonight, right now, I will accept Christ as my Savior. Would you just slip your hand up very quickly and put it right back down? Say anyone at all. Anyone at all. If you're watching by internet, right on the screen, it says, yes, I'll trust Christ as my Savior. I pray that you would. Our Father, we thank you again for this time. Thank you for all you do for us. And Father, whether we're here in the United States or in Israel or wherever, Help us to be found faithful, take advantage of some opportunities, in some cases, to make some opportunities. Be with us, keep us safe, and bless those that will be here. And for those that are traveling on the highways, keep them safe. Thank you for your blessings to us. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.